0: So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours.
1: The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gomeno.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com.
0: Nashville singer-songwriter Cindy Morgan is a two-time Grammy nominee, a 13-time Dove Award winner, and a recipient of the prestigious Songwriter of the Year trophy. Cindy has 21 number one radio hits to her credit and has penned songs for notable artists including David Archuleta, Vince Gill, India Ari, Rascal Flatts, Amy Grant, Mandisa, Natalie Grant, Michael W. Smith, among many others. From gospel to pop to Americana, Cindy Morgan is an insightful voice across musical genres who has grown to become one of Nashville's acclaimed songwriters and is sure a dear friend of ours. I can't even believe we're sitting here with you on a podcast. <laughs> Cindy <laughs> it is so fun. I know. I'm so happy. Me too, to be in the room with you. And we were just talking about. We're gonna all fight over how long we've known you, but I win. I've known you the longest. Yeah. You're my l- oldest friend in Nashville. Twenty nine oh, years. We it. realized. Actually, I'm your oldest. Oldest. <laughs> A- oh, A- yes, <laughs> chronologically. Yeah, yeah. I Cindy's wouldn't have said younger. that, Melissa. But you feel free. <laughs> well,
2: and I just remember when we met and we were hanging out that you told me about Melissa. All we talked about Melissa, and I was like, "Who is this Melissa?"
0: And you I know, started at Daystar. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I thought you were going to say we met over a boy that I liked because we did. We did. Mm -hmm. What was his
3: name?
1: I'm not
0: going to say it on a podcast. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's great. You don't remember. remember. Don't you say it either.
1: Now it's turning to a different podcast.
0: I know. I know totally who it is, but don't you dare. You are a good friend. Yes, I know. I was thinking, as I was driving over here today, I mean, I feel like we could say you're part of the reason we even have a podcast. Because you are the reason that Melissa and I ever wrote a book. Yes. Our first book. Uh-huh. We came to visit you in Canada. And you were writing a book. Okay. With Carolyn McCready and Terry Klass. for from Harvest that's House. That's right. Yes. And they were visiting you. Oh, and you guys met. And we yes. overlapped by one night. Oh, that's And we right. started telling them about Daystar. And they said— y'all should write a book about that. And they were serious. And we got to write a book. I mean, it was a joke how it kind of fell into our laps, but it's totally all thanks to you. So. Well, Is I she mean, getting royalty payments I, I just, for that? You well, know, no it wasn't really thanks to, me, it was
4: thanks to me.
0: <laughs> it was thanks to the overlap, but I'm glad that I was there. So, <laughs> oh, Carolyn uh, and Terry. Uh, oh, no, they great. Mm-hmm. People. Our, yeah. 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 So, That's such so fun. a fun, long history. Yeah. I know. I know. And just so proud to get to sit with you. Oh, man, I'm proud of you guys. I'm so proud of you. Of just what you do and what you
2: represent and, and just how important what you guys do is for parents. For me as a parent, I've I've just been so blessed and so nurtured by what you guys do.
0: So thank you. Wow, you're so sweet. We're gonna talk about some things that you've been doing lately, but I feel like more than any artist I've ever encountered, you like have this amazing way of reinventing yourself and stepping into a million different arenas. And your creativity is just so expansive. I mean, I, do you have any idea how many songs you've written?
2: <laughs> Man, I mean, at this point, most songwriters who write a lot would say, I mean, you're, you're in the thousands at this point. So I'm definitely in the thousands, but you know, Cindy. most of them probably are bad.
0: That is not true. That is not true. We could all throw out our favorite Cindy songs. Oh, yeah, You you
2: only get one good one for every like hundred. Really good one, but yeah.
0: Okay, so thousands of songs. How many albums? I think I'm probably at 12 now. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. Is that just you or St. Lola also? I
2: think that's probably me. I mean, St. Lola, you know, maybe if I add them all up, maybe that is including St. Lola. But yeah, unbelievable.
1: And the other part of your creativity being, I think every time I see you, you have a different instrument in your hand <laughs> too. <For laughs> sure. It's it's endless. Yes. Like I just think, how many instruments do you play? Cindy. Well,
2: you know, I don't play any of them great. My deal is I feel like every instrument makes you write a different kind of song and they're they're all in different tunings, which means that it sounds different when you play it and You know, you'd write a different song on the banjo than you would on the piano or even the guitar.
0: (laughs) You know (laughs) we don't get that at all. (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: mean, That's how my brain works in that and I'm very non-traditional in that all my friends that are guitar players tease me because my guitar only has five strings because the high string, I don't like it. I like the more mellow strings. And the high string always messes me up, and so I just take it off. And so, you know, some of my friends call me for five strings because I only play <laughs> like five strings. But I'm like, but hey, that's what I like, and I'm like, I'm not gonna let that be a distraction from me being productive. So I was like, oh, I'll just take it off. But um, <laughs> amazing. but anyway, I, I just find my shortcuts around stuff. But yeah, I love to write on different instruments. But it's Nashville, so there's so many masters of playing different instruments. So I'm definitely a songwriter player in that. I'm not, I'm not great at any of them, but I enjoy it. How many books have you written? Well, I mean, not many. So just two, like Barefoot just on Barbed Wire. And I mean, y'all have written like 10 at this point, but a couple books that are kind of memoirs and then the children's book. And I did write a couple novellas for a publishing house in Canada.
0: Unbelievable, and you are always working on something new. Yes, some which project. we'll come back to that. And one of my favorite stories, which I, you're just going to have to tell, the movie song. Please that was what I was the most Please excited it. about. It.
2: It's funny how I feel like the best things that happen they come along. You know, when you're really not, you didn't do anything to make it happen, and. And you try so hard to make other things happen and nothing happens. Then you do nothing and then something really awesome happens. And so was the case, my friend, David Prosy, who is a producer for 2020, he's been doing that for years and years. He's just an amazing guy. So he was running in Manhattan that morning and he had a playlist with some of my songs on it. And he got this call from a woman who is a movie producer And she said, I'm producing this movie, and we need this song for this, like, turning point. Could you suggest someone? He's like, oh, I know exactly who. Because he had just been listening to me. I was, of course, the first person that popped in his head. So then I get this call from this woman in New York who said, we are doing this film with Alec Baldwin and Demi Moore. We need a song in the turning point of the film where the protagonist figures out, yes, I really love this woman, and I'm going to change my, you know, way of doing things to make this relationship work. We need a song right there. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll totally try. And then she said, now, there are two catches. The first catch is that we need it actually in two days. And we not only need it in two days, days, but we need a fully produced demo in two days. (laughs) I was like, all right, then. And then, and she said, and the other thing is, That someone's going to sing this that has actually never recorded a song before. (laughs) Like, okay, this is not good. I mean, okay, how's this going to be? She's like, yeah, this is an artist who's always wanted to record a song but never has, and so this would be his like debut (laughs) song. And she said, and that person is Robert Redford.
0: (laughs) Unbelievable! What? I love Yeah. Uh,
2: I was like, what universe am I living in? (laughs) So anyway, so I went home, wrote it, sent her the work tape back same day, booked the session for—it was a Friday—booked the session the next day, and we recorded it. It's like a big band, kind of that sort of torch song— And then we had to send it up to Robert and his wife, Billy, because they had to give it the thumbs up. They did. And the next thing I know, I'm on an airplane, you know, a couple months later. You know, I remember they were like, okay, you've got to go in there and work with him and, like, make sure he knows the song. And then I I produced his vocal in the studio. (laughs) And so, but I had to go in the green room and spend quite a lot of time with him just kind of going over it and. Correcting Robert Redford. Well, no, or (laughs) just like, you know, melodically. For him, he felt intimidated by everyone that was in the process because wow. they're all, you know, they, they called in all the cats in New York. There are all these like amazing sure. session jazz players in New York. Philip Phillips played guitar on it Aww. and he was a sweetheart because he was a friend of the music producer guy on the film. But I just remember looking through the little glass door to the green room and seeing him sitting there on the couch <sighs> going, okay. <laughs>
4: What am I gonna say? You know? <laughs> but uh, describe how he looks. How he, he is he
2: is a fine looking man. I'm just gonna tell you. He had these like acid watch jeans and this leather jacket on. I mean, he was looking Sundance. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was looking <laughs> a really cool haircut and he looks fantastic. I thought I was gonna be in my pants. I was like, that this is did. not real. <laughs> sure. You know, but when we started talking about Nashville and he's like, oh, I love Nashville. I really like that city. And hmm. he was really great. He was just wonderful. And we we had a really good exchange and I had a good time together. And he did kiss me on the cheek at the end. Uh-huh. I'm just gonna say.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. I might not have washed my face. I mean
2: I didn't for a long
0: I time. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins kissed me on the forehead when I was a little what? girl and I Are didn't wash serious? it for mm-hmm, weeks. Oh, yeah. that's so, so awesome. Robert Redford would not nah, I don't know the Robert yeah, Redford yeah. And Trump Mary Poppins. Uh, I'm waiting uh, no. for mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Are you waiting for <laughs> yeah. it. Maybe I can
4: Robert see Redford. how you
2: would be a Robert Redford man. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Is he your dream? Uh huh. Yeah.
4: His eyes. Yeah. And the movie <laughs> is called Blind.
2: The movie's called Blind. And it's kind of based on roughly on the life of Norman Mailer.
0: Wow. There's
2: definitely some fiction added, but it's kind of inspired by some parts of the life of Norman Mailer. But, That's so interesting. Yeah.
1: That story is such a picture of your talent. Yes. Uh, Can yes. you write a song in 48 hours, create a demo, and come coach Robert Redford on some vocals? <laughs> Cindy, <laughs> totally. such a picture oh of you.
0: And here gosh. she is with us. Yes.
1: Oh. Oh. You know, fortunate are we. <laughs>
0: Well, we do have official things to talk about. We can talk about a million other things for days, but Melissa, do you want to kick us off?
4: Yeah, we're talking about vintage values, and uh, is there one that you think kids struggle with today? Or just one that comes to your mind?
2: The vintage values, like something that is like an old-fashioned kind of concept? Yes. Well, if I think about my own kids, I would say quiet time. I would say mm. for the positive side of boredom is something that huh. maybe might be a big thing. I read this article about the connection between boredom and creativity because your mind when you're bored it kind of kicks into this other mode and that's how you access things in your subconscious and and the daydreaming process of mm. like getting into a creative space. Mm. I mean I feel like for my kids trying to instill in them a desire to want quiet. I grew up with a lot of quiet. If we're talking about vintage values, I guess, you know, my childhood yes. is vintage by now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I grew up y'all in the holler. Which holler officially? Well, I mean, it was called Snake Holler. It was down in this holler called Earl's Holler, but everyone called it Snake Holler because there were snakes everywhere. Oh, goodness. But you know, it was this super rustic, tiny cabin, and I was the youngest, and so I was the last one left at home. I had a lot of time alone, and I would go for walks and go in the creek, and that's where I became a writer because Mm. We got one channel on the TV mm. and there were no kids to play with. And then my mom traveled, you know, she sang and traveled some. And so a lot of times it was just me and my dad. And y'all didn't have electricity for a, for great a while. Time. Yeah, that's right. For a while we didn't have electricity. And so I think for, that- we had a
0: really opportunities to be creative. That's
2: right. But I do think that that time to like let my mind wander- was a big part mm-hmm. of like, developing my
4: creativity. Mm. So how do you help your kids to be able to have that time yeah. and instill in them that value of having some time?
2: I can only reference like what I did with, with Olivia yeah. and Savannah. They're
0: both really creative. Uh-huh. <laughs> they in are. In very different way. Yeah,
2: they are. They're both writers. And their dad, of course, is a great writer. And so it's probably in the blood. But also, I never had on television or anything like that in the mornings. I really tried to wait as long as possible until I thought I was going to drop dead from exhaustion. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, we're turning the television on. And we also stopped buying toys. We figured out early on in their childhood that they actually never played with the toys, mm. so we only huh. bought things that were interactive, like paper and you know things to paint and draw with or to create, build, because it felt like they were the kind of kids who would get very bored with something that did the work for them, mm. and so they huh. needed to do the work. That is so great of playing That's the nice. way you yes. put that. Brilliant. I love that. Wow, love that. I remember when we were on road trips, we used to drive up to Canada in the summers. That is a three and a half day trip, oh. and they're young, and it's like, "Oh man, we cannot start with TV or it's all downhill." We can, you know they each had a little portable video kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we always started the mornings with nothing to where it was just looking out the window, daydreaming, conversation, and so that there were a few hours of that, so that they kind of were forced into this kind of state of having to occupy their minds. And then we would kind of graduate to, okay, I'll come back there and I'll read you a book now. And then we'll listen to some music. And then, of course, desperately (laughs) a movie (laughs) uh, to the slow build for me.
0: Smart.
1: That's brilliant. Cindy, along those lines, what is one of the issues that you believe is harder about being a parent today that's different from when your parents were raising you?
2: Man, I guess possibly social media. There have always been bullies. There have always been someone that makes you feel bad about yourself. I definitely feel like the comparison game, I think for adults too, I guess this is probably common knowledge. It's like the comparison game of they always look so beautiful and wow, they've got a makeup channel and And I don't have a makeup channel and, you know, just feeling less than because of how we compare ourselves. So I I definitely feel Mm -hmm. like social media is probably a big struggle. You know, the phone is a big struggle, I would say.
0: In
4: general. Yeah.
0: Out of everyone, I know you have the most fascinating stories from your childhood. (laughs) Uh period. But just if you were going to think about something as we're talking about all this vintage stuff from your childhood that you wish you could bring back today. Yeah. What would it be?
2: Mm. I ended up spending a lot of time with older people Mm. because my neighbors were older Before we moved down on the holler, we lived in a little neighborhood, a cul de sac, as my mother calls it, a culter sac. (laughs) But, But my mom, Lola, but there were four houses in our neighborhood. There were three sisters, two of them had never married. And then Mr. and Mrs. Ferris were the only married couple, but they were all sisters living in the same little circle with us. And so I just went from house to house, Aunt Addie, Miss Brown and Miss Ferris, and going to their house. And I think growing up and being really comfortable around older people mm. and actually wanting to hear their stories and wanting to kind of know about their life in the past. I just think that was so instilled in me. Sometimes I think when I'm around young people, they feel quite uncomfortable around older people. Yeah. Mm. And I love to be around. I guess that my parents instilled that in me, the value of valuing people, mm-hmm. maybe not based on their
4: age, mm-hmm. but just who they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Along that line, was there something, a favorite book or yeah. favorite show on the One Channel that you could get? The One Channel? Uh, yeah, music band. Charlie Brown. I mean, I just—
2: Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, the best Christmas record ever been made. and Every time Linus goes out there with his little blanket mm. and he puts the blanket over his head mm. and he <laughs> tells the Christmas story and they do the, ooh,
3: ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes. it's like
2: nothing is better yes. than
0: that. Uh-huh. Nothing. Uh-huh. nothing. I cry every it. time. It's do you? So, I know. Yes, it's like it just moment. chokes me up. No. I need to watch that with him oh, this year. Oh, right. you need yeah, to. I don't think I've seen As him soon in a long... as this little boy oh, starts speaking it's the Christmas
1: so story. So yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gominno.com. That's shop.gominno.com. I love what you said about the slow build with offering that space for being bored and daydreaming with kids is there anything else that you would encourage parents to consider as you think about just building creativity into kids
2: I read a book that was like a psychology book about raising children it said that some children who are high strung like Olivia is a definitely my type a, very you know OCD kind of child and really creative. We used to talk about, in our relationship, you and me and Melissa, Mm -hmm. not to leave you out, David, Okay. (laughs) but when we used to hang out and watch our movies and stuff, (laughs) like someone was Tigger, someone was Pooh, and Mm -hmm. someone was
4: Piglet, right? Out of the three of us. Yeah. Don't say it. Don't say it. She's going to, I'll say it. Are you? Eeyore. Oh,
2: no. I say poo. I don't <laughs> say Eeyore, I love you, Sydney. <laughs> but I remember that T-shirt you had. You remember that T-shirt you had the had little Eeyore with the little <laughs> cloud over <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so she's called me Eeyore for I love a while. that book. But anyway, <laughs> but Olivia is definitely Tigger mm. and Piglet. I think she's a little of both. And so this book was saying that when you have a child who is that sort of personality, it's really important To stay calm when they are really stressed, or just even like children who are creative and who are given to that sort of creativeness or giftedness, that it's really important for them to have a feeling of stability. So, because I'm really emotional, I'm a four on the Enneagram, and so is Olivia. And so, I feel like I remember in my younger days being really up and really down, and that was difficult. And so I had to get to the point where I had to really figure out how to kind of level out and not be so impacted by my mood swings. So watching Olivia with that, who is like really up and really down, and nurturing her creativity and and even just her feeling of safety, I realized that I couldn't. I had to really try. If she was panicking, then I had to be logical Mm -hmm. and like just really kind of give her that calm energy back. And even Savannah, who is more, she's more pragmatic, you know, and she is very creative, but she's more of like down to business, you know? I mean, she is my parent in many ways. (laughs) She's very together. And it's weird because my role with Savannah is so different than my role with Olivia, because with Savannah, because she is such a strong personality, I have to let her feel like she's, and this is maybe you guys are going to tell me I'm doing the wrong thing. No, we're not. But in some ways, I think she quite enjoys being in leadership of me. In some ways,
4: she's a Kinda natural
2: leader. In she's some amazing. things, mm-hmm. and yeah, some things that she is, she is wise, and she does have wisdom to offer me, and she does see things different than I do. Now she just turned eighteen, but she's kind of been that way for a while, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay for her to feel like sometimes she's in charge of me. Yeah,
0: she is so capable. Uh, (laughs) She is. Are Uh there ways specifically, and you've kind of spoken to this, but that you feel like with them being so different, that you've helped kind of draw out each of their creativity? Like what are kind of specific ways?
2: I feel like encouragement is really important. I remember a moment, Savannah wrote this paper about Atlas, and I think she was in eighth grade, it kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Olivia's older, she's in high school, her path to like be a screenwriter for Pixar is like a well-worn path and, you know, she's obsessed with being a screenwriter and, of course, she's about to graduate and that's what she's getting her degree in, so that hasn't changed. And, but I remember, you know, and of course, because their father is a writer as well, So Olivia's, of course, following in his footsteps in that way, and she's going to be a writer. And as the younger child, you know, you're already in the shadow of like, oh, well, she's going to do that. So there's a natural inclination, I would think, if I put myself in her shoes to go, well, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I remember her reading me that paper and just having this moment of thinking, I need to say something right now to her. And I said, Savannah? just because Olivia wants to be a writer, that does not mean that you can't as well. Mm. Because you would do something completely different. Your writing would be completely your own. So I feel like just encouraging her to not think that only one person in the family can do that one thing. Mm -hmm, And so I think in terms of different nurturing for each of them, Savannah, a friend of mine, told me, she's really strong. And so Savannah, I feel like she feels like she's more close to you if you do a little debating together. Mm -hmm. And I don't like conflict. And so that was hard for me as a parent to go, oh, I need to push back sometimes with her. And then that makes her feel like I'm invested, that I'm asking questions. Whereas Olivia really doesn't respond well to any sort of tough love at all. It's like... It's soft. I got to do this soft parent thing with her. But with Savannah, she likes me to push back. That makes
0: so much sense to me. Yeah. Feels like such a a picture of of you. Yeah.
1: Where you know your girls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and the differences in temperament that bring about a different response from you as a mom.
4: You can pick up on that pretty good because. (laughs) Just recently spending time yeah. with Savannah, and I love talking with her, and I can see what you're saying there, that mm-hmm. she in- invited me in a way to say something different from what she was saying.
2: Yeah, so, Is that right? Uh-huh. Oh, that's But cool. I gingerly yeah.
4: went that way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh-huh. But, man, uh, she's a freshman at Lipscomb, and I think it's really wonderful just at this time in her life because college is such an amazing time to be challenged. What do they say? Like the way the college students go is the way the world goes, and and that they they so impact culture. And so, mm-hmm.
4: I think she's really enjoying being around peers, and it's good. Yeah, talking about the girls, we have a lot of memories of being with them Christmas. They were small, or just about every Christmas. Yes, we have been together. I'm just so so proud mm-hmm. of them, and so it's fun to talk about them. But do you have a favorite Christmas memory with the girls? I have a memory of us. So
2: we were driving to Arizona, and it was right before Christmas. We were spending Christmas in Arizona, and we were driving through New Mexico, and a blizzard hit. And we thought, okay, what do we do? Do we keep going? This is weird. Like, we're in New Mexico, and it's starting to snow really hard. Wow. Because it went from, like, nothing to just a downpour. And so we were fortunate in that we pulled off before everyone started pulling off. So we got a room at a Howard Johnson,
4: <laughs> but it felt
2: like a Hampton Inn. You know what I'm saying? So uh-huh. it was more like a Hampton Inn and in that it had the hot breakfast. Yes. It was a nice Hojo, <laughs> but thank the Lord, because it's all there was there. But it was such a blizzard that it completely shut the interstate down and— There was a little tiny Highway 55 diner right beside the hotel. We went and we had dinner, and then that night— we came downstairs and we made snow cream. We got the little like flavor packets from the hotel, the coffee bar, uh-huh. and then we went and got fresh snow. And we made um, snow cream in the lobby of the Hojo. Uh-huh. And the girls built snowmen. And we were like snowed in there for three days. And we really, yeah, we couldn't leave for three days. Then finally the diner closed, and then mm-hmm. all there was was the breakfast bar. Oh no! <laughs> and no. So at, at uh-huh. night we would come down like get the peanut butter and jelly and the bread <laughs> that was hiding in the back pantry of the <laughs> hotel lobby but it was so fun and they built these two big snowmen kind of where people pull up at the hotel the girls built these two welcoming snowmen at the mm. hojo so oh, yeah, what, what a so memory that is in new mexico who would think mm-hmm. you know so i love that little memory mm.
1: As we keep reflecting on Christmas over the years, how do you feel like you pointed the girls back to the true meaning of Christmas?
2: For the girls and I, we always had a tradition of reading a lot. So we read every day together. I had a beginner's Bible, which I love. And we used that book so much that we finally had to duct tape it together. Mm -hmm. And so reading was a big part of just our life together. I don't know why it feels like you should read it at Christmas time, but of course the line and The Witch in the Wardrobe. So mm. we would read that at Christmas time. Mm. And I'd bought a big hardback version that had the big pictures in it and the big print. I guess I always loved reading that book to them because of the beautiful allegory, mm. like the scene where Father Christmas comes. Mm. And you know, the movie they didn't do it where they had the big tea, you know, like Father Christmas brings them tea in the book, and they all have tea with the beavers, and Mm. I don't know. I just love it. We always would go to church on Christmas Eve, going to the candlelight service Mm -hmm. the night before. You know, it's tough to juggle the gift thing. Like, okay, it isn't really about this, although you want to celebrate like everybody else does. But I think just reading the Christmas story always, you know, we always read that first before we opened the gifts Mm -hmm. and trying to do something during the season, that was always involving the girls in some sort of charitable or humanitarian act during the season that just reminded them of how blessed they were and and how important it
0: is for us to remember those who aren't. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking about that and thinking about the holidays coming up, which is just a time that brings up a lot of sorrow for people, too. And I mean, I feel like I'm still learning so much about the Enneagram, but it seems like out of all of the numbers that fours can hold joy and sorrow together better than maybe anyone else, better than a one for sure. We don't do two things at once. We do one. But thinking about parents that are listening that might be in this season where it brings up some sorrow for them and they're still needing to have joy with their kids and living in both places just would be curious. Based on who you are. And but I know to be true of you what you would say to parents to encourage them in that space. Well, when I think back on the Christmas
2: after I lost my dad, Mm. there's a melancholy, my personality type, I'm very comfortable with that kind of sadness that has some beauty in it. And so I think imagining parents who are going through a difficult time where maybe they have experienced some loss. With my dad, I just tried to remember the things about him that I loved and that mm. were so life giving. And I guess that I was always just grateful that I had a father like him in my life for as long as I did, you know, even though it wasn't long enough. You gave me a book mm. years ago, The Prophet. Do you remember mm, that? That you yes, gave me The Prophet? Mm-hmm. He wrote something about that the same knives that carve the loot hold the cool water. Mm -hmm. So the same well that holds the joy holds the sorrow. You know, the, the amount of depth that we have for joy is equal to the amount of sorrow we have. So I don't know. I guess the bad news about joy and the amount of joy that you can feel is that it can be matched with sorrow Mm. But I guess I just choose to dwell on the joy mm. with my dad. I choose to dwell on the joy that I had with him
0: and the joy he still gives me. I love that. Choose to dwell on the joy that he still gives me, even though he's been gone for how many years? 22 years. Oh, my goodness.
4: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I have a memory of he, my favorite Christmas with him. And mm. we went into the woods, and we found this sweet little Christmas tree, we drug it through the snow, and we brought it back to the house, and mm. it was like a Walton's Christmas tree. You know, it wasn't awesome, but it was our tree. You know, and one way that I deal with my sadness for him is I tell my girls' stories about him.
3: Mm.
2: Like when they were growing up, I tried to tell them a story about him every day, like maybe before bed, so that
4: he was alive in their memory. Mm. And that made him alive to me. Mm. love that. It's so good to hear reflections in the past. But we can't stop our time without asking you, is there a project you're working on right now? Yeah. You know, actually,
2: you know, I've never done a full Christmas record. I've always contributed Christmas Mm -hmm. songs on different records, but I have never done a Christmas record. So I'm actually... Gonna, oh, I'm yes, going to do a Cindy. Christmas record this that's year. For I this won't, sh- no, it won't be done, but I'm going to start this Christmas because I'm like, people always do their Christmas records in June. Uh-huh. Oh. So I thought, you're not in the mood to do Christmas songs Cracky. in June. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start this season. I'm going to start working on it. And you're
0: going to play one for us today? I'm going to play one for y'all. Oh. Hey, hey so Cindy, that is exciting. awesome. I'm so excited about that.
1: Me too. Yay. We're over the moon that you're going to do a Christmas song. But before we hit that place, we've all had the privilege of sharing a meal with you. And if we had that chance again soon, which we hope we do, and we happen to have tacos, which we love to do on this podcast. Mm, You do? Yes. We love it. What kind of taco would you love to have?
3: Oh,
2: fish taco. Fish taco, without question. (laughs) It's my jam. Love it. That's great.
1: We love to have that happen. <laughs> and you can have a fish taco at Christmas too. That's not oh, against yeah. the rules. <laughs> and
0: the side of cranberry sauce. There you oh. go. Uh, oh. Yeah. Mm. Cindy, thank you. It is just, Aww. I mean, always it's a joy to be with you, but it's just a joy to get to share you with our people. Thank and you. Oh, I'm yes. so excited to be on this. I
2: listened to this podcast, Cindy. So I'm so excited to be on here.
1: We still can't believe that we have you here singing. This feels like a beautiful way to Mm -hmm. usher in the Christmas season. So will you tell us what you're going to sing?
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do kind of a melancholy version of What Child Is This? (laughs) All right.
3: What child? So bring